How's that? Ah, perfect. That's, I, that's when I should have been saying things I didn't want Troy to hear. Um, but for those of you that don't know me, my name is Mark Rivers. I'm one of the elders here at Grace. Uh, a little about my background. I grew up in Bridgewater. I was your typical New England Roman Catholic. Went to church on Christmas Eve and Easter, maybe a few other times a year. Uh, up till the age of 21, when God revealed his grace to me uh, through a truck driver giving me the gospel at the convenience store I worked at on a graveyard shift and uh, came to Christ in 1995. I uh, went to Bible college and graduated with a degree in Bible in 2001 and served as a youth pastor in West Bridgewater for six years. Um, for the past 15 years, I've mostly been uh, Aaliyah Rivers' husband uh, as part of the, the Sam Fuller School uh, and occasionally helping out and preaching uh, in places wherever they need somebody. Uh, like New Year's Day when absolutely nobody else is available. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mark can do it. Uh, so, But this morning, uh, I hope to leave you encouraged uh, from this passage and from what is really a summary of Paul's life and ministry that he's giving uh, to his beloved disciple, Timothy. So if you'll stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of the living God. I'm actually going to start in uh, second, sorry, in second Timothy chapter four, verse five. And this is Paul really at the end of his life, ready to die, saying to Timothy, as for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, in these next few moments, uh, calm our hearts, calm my heart. Lord, um, give the words to say. Open up the eyes of our heart that we may see Jesus, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to think on you, uh, to think on your glory. Please work now. Lord, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you doing on your resolutions? It's only 11 and a half hours in, right? If you're, if you're already struggling, you might want to just like never tell anyone you made that resolution. Um, you know, it's, I, I, I never really thought that I needed a position on resolutions. Uh, over the past few weeks, I've read a number of like Christian blogs and sites. Some were like pro-resolution, some were anti-resolutions. Uh, I really don't know what is right or wrong when it comes to making New Year's resolutions. But as I thought about it, and I think as we think about it, why do we make resolutions? Well, if you're the world or the culture, you resolve probably because you have some belief that you should be progressing, that things should be getting better, that you should be different, you should be moving towards that. That's really the, the faith that our world is built on, especially here in the United States, that we're progressing towards something better. We don't have any idea what that would look like when we get there. But that's what we're doing. But for us as Christians, 
we know we're sinful. We know we live in a broken, fallen world. We know that things are not as they should be. We know we're not as we are, as we should be, or as we will be. We, we want to change. We, we don't want to be sinful. We live with that weight and burden every day that we walk on this earth. We live with the reality that we live in a fallen, sinful world and that we are a fallen, sinful people. And, and I think when we, when we talk about resolution, things we, it's expressing that weight, that burden. And over the years, especially working with teenagers, but also with adults, I've often heard that burden expressed. One of the most common things I've heard Christian teenagers say is something like this. I'm not where I should be in my Christian life. And that testifies to that. I should be somewhere other than where I am in my sanctification. I should be somewhere other than where I am in my walk with Jesus. Now, some of that I actually think is good. But I also think sometimes we live a discouraged, defeated Christian life because we have unreal expectations for it. And when we come to this letter here, and this is Paul, end of his life, pretty apparent from what he writes that he knows he's about to die. In fact, tradition usually tells us that he did not escape this imprisonment, that he was most likely beheaded soon after this. And he seems to know it here. It's not like Philippians 1 where he's in prison and he, we'll talk about this in many, he's kind of like, if I stay, if I go. This one he's like, I'm going. It's over for me. And his goal in this letter has been to encourage his beloved disciple to get Timothy to continue to stir up his gifts, to partake in the suffering of the gospel, as he says in verse 5, to fulfill his ministry. And as he's been doing this throughout the letter, when we come to this last part in verse 6, he, Paul kind of summarizes his ministry, summarizes his life in some sense. And what he leaves Timothy with here is, is something I hope that will encourage you this morning and hopefully help you as you go in to 2023 and you live out however many days the Lord has for you in the coming year. So I want to look at three things this, this morning from this text. And now, just to be honest, Troy made me give him an outline like two and a half weeks ago, which is way too early. Um, but so the first thing we're going to look at is Paul's motive. Second thing we're going to look at is the means. And then the third is the mundane. So the first thing I want to look at from this passage is Paul's motive. If you read with me, he says this, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then he says this, henceforth, and that henceforth here is not like uh, cause effect. This is more like, the next thing chronologically. Here's the next thing that is coming. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says to Timothy, listen Timothy, I've fought, I've run, I've guarded, I've kept. Here's, here's what's next. I am going to 
be with the righteous judge and he's going to crown me as righteous. He's going to recognize me as righteous. Now, there's, there's a couple of different interpretations out there on this. Some see it as a righteousness earned. I don't believe that. I think the idea that Paul is saying here is this. It will be the fulfillment of his righteousness. You see, we understand this morning that before Christ, we are declared righteous. Right now, we stand righteous before him based on the work of Christ. But we don't know all that that means. That we live with the burden of our sin still and the battle with our sin still every single day. But there is coming a day where we will be in the presence of Jesus and there'll be no more sin. We who are unrighteous will stand in the presence of the righteous king and he's going to say, Righteous! Well done! Holy and blameless! It seems almost unfathomable at 11.30 in the morning on New Year's Day. But it's true. And this is what had driven Paul, driven his ministry, driven him through all sorts of suffering. The reality that he, in fact, in Philippians 3, he says, I pursue Christ and I do it to be found in him. Not, and by that it means when he sees Jesus, not with a righteousness of my own, but to be found in him with his righteousness. Because we're unrighteous apart from him. This is what drove Paul. He wanted to, to, to see Jesus and be with Jesus and to lay aside all these burdens. To lay aside the weight once and for all, finally. To not have to battle. You know, this concept is enormous and it's all over uh, scripture. But sometimes Paul just kind of simplifies it for us. In Philippians chapter 1, he writes, as soon as I can find it, You can flip there if you'd like. It probably would have taken me less time. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. Now Paul's in prison here. And I think he has a pretty good idea he's going to get out. But he writes this and he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. I continue my ministry. I continue fighting. I continue running. I continue to keep the faith. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. And then he says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. If you struggle with the concept of heaven, just remember, it's far better. Far, far better than what you have here today. Christian, and I, I shared this a little with the elders a few weeks ago. It's not morbid for you to think on the end. It's motive. Now, listen, I get it, right? Like, um, there's certain ways I don't want to die. My wife grew up outside of Cody, Wyoming, uh, not far from Yellowstone National Park. It, it's an area where, like, people every now and then get mauled and killed by a grizzly bear, Right? Or speared by a bison. I don't want to go that way. Okay? Like, that's natural. Like, we fear how we might die. Like, right? Like, it's not something like, I don't want to get bit by a cobra. 
Doesn't seem good. But we don't have to fear death. In some sense, we long for it. We love. That's what, and again, this isn't Paul like exclusive to apostles. He says, this isn't for me only. This is for everyone that loves his appearing. We long to see Jesus. To see the fulfillment of our righteousness, our sanctification of all the promises in him. That's what drives us. And by the way, when, when he says at the start of that passage, he says, I'm, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Well, when you long for heaven, when you know heaven's assured, when you know the presence of Christ is assured, when you know it's far better, well, then you can take all the risks for Jesus you want in this life. Because you know it's working for you an exceeding weight of glory. So we see Paul's motive, first of all. Second of all, we see the means through which Paul accomplishes this. And to understand this a bit, we've got to go back to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And so if you'll turn there with me, just so we understand a little better the context of this. Paul's not urging Timothy to partake in the suffering of the gospel in his own strength, but throughout this epistle, he's been reminding Timothy of what is true in Christ for him. He says in verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. says, Timothy, God has given you a gift. He's given you the power to do this. He's given you spirit of love, the discipline to do this. I think he characterizes this all a little later in, uh, in, in verse two or chapter two, verse one. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Essentially saying, Timothy, the grace to do it is yours. The grace to partake in the suffering of the gospel is yours in Christ Jesus. He has equipped you with everything you need to do this. In fact, that's how Paul saw his entire life. Everything he did, he saw as an outworking of the grace of God in his life. You can turn there with me again if you want. 1 Corinthians 15. And starting in verse 8, Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so we believed. Paul's like, I worked harder than all of them, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. Timothy, 
Be strong in the grace. And, and suffer, partake, work. It's interesting too that uh, you see the divide there in that Paul says, Timothy, Jesus didn't give you a spirit of fear. He acknowledges that the fear is there, but rather of power and of love, of a sound mind. I think one of the things that I've seen a lot in the last few years is we get a little confused about God's grace. I think sometimes we equate it with feeling. In other words, like if it feels easy, God's grace is working. And if it feels hard, somehow the grace and ability isn't there. And that's just simply not true. When we think of God's grace, we think of it where we stand. Romans 5.1. We stand in the grace of God. We stand under the favor of God. I can guarantee you this Christian in 2023, there won't be a moment where you stand outside the grace of God. Why? This is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And then we see it as we see it here as an enablement. You see, grace, Paul says, it's not me that did this. It's the grace of God working through me. That's true for you as well. You say, Mark, sometimes life feels horrible. Yeah, but you're not sovereign, the sovereign judge over when God's grace is working or not working. We see this uh, multiple times uh, in Paul's life. And again, this is a summary that he's giving Timothy, in, which is why I'm going to so many of these other verses. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, we were burdened beyond our strength. We despaired that we were going to die. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. A little later in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how he's given these, most likely it's Paul, he, he says in a humble way, it's, uh, he's given these revelations of heaven of which he can't even speak. And then he says, and then I was given an affliction to humble me. Something he was given bad eyes, we're not sure. And he, and he says, I prayed three times for the Lord to take the affliction away. And here's the Lord's response. My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, my power is made perfect. The grace will be there every day. You stand in that grace every day. It's not dependent on you. It's dependent on Jesus. He's not going anywhere. So we see the motive of Paul's ministry. We see the means of Paul's ministry. And then finally, the last part, and this kind of goes with what I've just been saying, is the mundane. Paul goes on to describe, and he says, listen, I've, and, and this is like a summary of his life. And you know what, for us as, as Americans especially, um, this is amazing. It's not a list of accomplishments. 
He doesn't list all the things he's done, and he's done a lot of things. He doesn't say, I planted these churches all over here. I ordained elders here. I trained up all these disciples here. Look at all I've done. Look at my list of accomplishments. No, he actually, it's, it's pretty simple. He says, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I ran. I finished my course. The idea is like, I had a race to run. I ran it. And then he says, I kept the faith. Now, I, don't think, I think this means more than just being faithful. Being faithful would be part of it. But I think specifically, he guarded the gospel. He guarded what had been entrusted to him as a minister of the gospel. It, Tuesday is coming. Tuesday morning, January 3rd is coming. If you're like me, you've been off a lot over the last couple of weeks. Hopefully for you, that's true too. And life is good. But January 3rd is coming. It's funny how time works, right? Like we just had my son, Micaiah, home who got married last summer. And, you know, you watch him when he's 21 years old opening his gifts. And it feels like he was just seven years old opening his gifts, uh, opening Legos. And um, uh, he still opens Legos. So I, I guess it still applies. But, uh, but, you know, you look, you're like, man, where did 14 years go? However, on Tuesday morning... Friday afternoon is going to seem a thousand years away, right? That's how life works. Sometimes I, I say to Ali, I'm like, is it really only Tuesday? Life is hard. Fighting the Christian fight is hard. But we have the grace to do it. And we know someday we will realize the fullness of it. As Paul said in another place in 2 Corinthians, he said, this momentary light affliction is working for us an exceeding weight of glory. But you've got to fight for now. There's no part, I don't know if you've ever been in a real fight. Uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands. Uh, but real fights are hard. I have been in a real fight. It's, they're hard. They hurt. Have you been in a fight with your spouse? It's not fun. It's uncomfortable. Your whole world seems off. Been in a fight with your brother. No part of fighting for anything that is comfortable. It can be hard. It can be discouraging. But you stand in the grace of God. Heaven awaits. The second metaphor he uses is, is he finished his course. God had a race for him. He ran it. You got to run. When I think of this part, I always think you got to run all the parts of a race. The hills. The downhills. You know, a lot of our life is day after day of the same thing. The same struggle. But sometimes there's dark valleys. And sometimes there's awesome downhills. Where, where it's just easy. You know, this past summer, it was weird for me. And I know some of the elders and some of you know about this. Like on July 22nd, Micaiah got married down in North Carolina. And it was a beautiful, just a perfect night. The Lord granted us a perfect night. Part of that night was they brought all the grandparents out on the floor, or actually they brought out all couples and they eliminated them by how long they'd been married. And in the end, there were all four sets of grandparents were there. And they all had been married over 50 years. My mom and dad were there. They'd been married 54 years and they were out dancing. Just a glorious night. About 11 days later, down in Fall River, I watched my father breathe his last. You got to run all the parts, right? You gotta run all the parts. It's gonna be hills, it's gonna be valleys, it's gonna be flatlands. 
And not one single moment of that was the grace of God not with me. Through a myriad of emotions, Christ never left me. You got to run all the parts. And then the last part is just Paul says, I kept the faith. And really, like I said, I think he's talking about he guarded what was entrusted to him. He fought for the good fight. He, he knew the gospel and he defended it at all costs and proclaimed it at all costs. One of the most amazing passages, I think, in the, in the scripture to me personally is in Galatians 2, where Paul says, I confronted Peter face to face because he was to be blamed. And not only that, he did it in public in front of everyone. Peter, who walked three years with Jesus, who was there in the garden, Peter, who was there at the tomb, Peter, who saw the resurrected Jesus, had started to wander away. He had allowed for divide to come back between the Gentiles and the Jews. And Paul said, so I withstood him to the face. Imagine that. That takes guts. But that's what you gotta do. We fight, we run, we guard. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe it's just been a struggle day after day after day. Listen, there is joy in the Christian life, there is peace in the Christian life, but you should not be surprised by the battle because it is a battle and it's going to be a battle. The time is coming and you can look to that. Set your hope on it. Put all your eggs in that basket that you will be with Jesus one day. And for his righteous, no more burden, no more weight. But that day is not today. Well, it might be later. It's not right now. All you have to do is fight. Run. Guard. And the grace of God will be with you every step of the way. And Jesus is waiting for you, however you may see him. Let's pray. Lord, we take our eyes off you pretty easily. I, Lord, even in preparing this message, talking about being with you and seeing you, it's hard to focus on you. Oh, Lord, open up the eyes of our heart. Lord, help us as we, Lord, go into this new year. Lord, give us the strength. Help us to rest in what is true, what is real, not always in what we feel or what we can see, but, Lord, what we know to be true from your word, that, Lord, heaven awaits, you await, that the things we do today are working for us, an eternal weight of glory, that your grace is sufficient for every moment you have for us in 2023. Uh, Lord, we bring all these things before you, Lord, and we pray as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, 